when we go through hard, devastating times and things are not working out in our life, and that the, the just avalanche of bad news and information and disappointment. As I've said so often up here in recent weeks, uh, the temptation is a cave in to distorted thinking, uh, to pull back in isolation. Uh, we're hurting. The self-protection sets in. And we began to believe the lie that we are alone. We're not alone. In fact, in a few moments, I'm going to preach on that. But we also have one another. We have each other. And I just want to add my word to what Matt shared about our care ministry. No, we're not a perfect church, and you know, do things slip through the cracks? Yeah, just do the math. We got a lot of folks here, and sometimes, you know, intention and capacity and humanity. But it is our sincere desire that nobody, nobody in this church, nobody in this church struggles or suffers alone. And just allow me to be frank with you here. My biggest disappointment about being a pastor and it's an occupational hazard, and all my friends say the same thing to a pastor. My biggest disappointment, my biggest disappointment is how many of us, when we're hurting, we allow ourselves to be imprisoned by pride. This image management, this stuff of, of, of projecting that we always have to be good, we never hurt, we never go through struggles, we never have stress or pain, this kind of nonsense, and then we suffer in silence. We pay for it unnecessarily. The people around us pay for it. And, 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 the, and the, the pain gets entrenched. It becomes a part of who we are. And that's the reason for the body of Christ. And that's the reason for our care ministry. And that's the reason for one another. And so I, I want to encourage you, if you're hurting, please don't you turn, go out here in the park and lot of, don't talk yourself out of community. We all need it. My goodness, there have been people in this church that have ministered to me personally, my seasons of hurt and pain. None of us are as good as we preach or teach. And so let's, let's walk out of this nonsense of pretense that we're always great. That's not true. And let's embrace one another and love each other well. Love each other well. Uh, and avail yourself to that. It's okay to say that you have a need. You know you do. Embrace it. Father, thank you that you do love us. Thank you that you care about us. Thank you, Father God, that you have given us one another. And my goodness, we all go through pain. We all go through disappointment and heartache and Whew, life is full of it, Lord. And, uh, and Father, I pray that you will show us how to open our hearts and how to invite people in and uh, how, how to let people help us. God, you want us to be dependent upon you, and sometimes that dependence upon you is to express that we need help. So thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. Good to see you this morning, fellowship. Y'all look particularly good this morning. Yeah, you do. You look, you look, you look great. And uh, just glad, glad to be here with you. If you're visiting with us, we're just delighted that you are here. And uh, I say this every Sunday, but I really mean it. Uh, uh, fellowship is not a perfect church because we got some people up in here. Um, so... But we do love the Lord. We love one another. Some exciting things are taking place here. And, and uh, uh, if, if you're visiting with us, as Matt said, I'd love to be back here uh, and meet you back here in Guest Central and just answer any questions that you have. And I just want to say something about our, our staff, our pastoral staff, man. We've got some great pastors on our staff. We got some great pastors on our staff. In fact, you know, I was thinking while Matt was talking, you know, there's not a better person in this church to talk about care ministry. Matt Farlow is care. 
He really is. When you look up pastor in the dictionary, there's Matt Farlow's face. And uh, <laughs> just, I love all of our team. It's just, just, just great, just great. One other thing I want to announce to you, though, is that there's a save the date here. Um, is it on the screen? Yeah, there it is. Uh, we're going to celebrate on October the 5th and 6th our 40th anniversary as a church. That's amazing. That's something to celebrate. 40 years of God's faithfulness and uh, what he's done here has just really been remarkable. So you're going to hear more about that. Save the date. I'm going to just a little, 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 let let the bird out just a little bit. There's going to be some folks who have been at the very beginning that we're going to highlight. You'll see them. And we're going to do some exciting things that we planned that weekend. But I know that we're all busy and I know that that's football season. All right. Listen to me. This is a test of idolatry. <laughs> Where we really worship. Okay. I started to say I'm kidding. No, this is a little truth to that. I mean, it's sort of like, yeah. Uh, I don't know why I said that. But at any rate, uh, uh, I want you to save the date and, uh, and, and be, here, be here with us. Um, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and just... Uh, just leave it open there for, for a while. We're, we're in this series of messages that I've entitled uh, Wind in My Sails. It's on encouragement, encouragement. I've said this virtually every week here, these two observations. One is to quote the legendary founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, who famously said and used to say repeatedly, if you're breathing, you need encouragement. Everybody needs encouragement. And then secondly, encouragement is to our souls what water is to a plant. You just can't make it without encouragement. There's not a person alive that doesn't need encouragement. Talked about the very first week, uh, what is encouragement and why do we need it? And, And the very word encouragement means to pour courage into someone. There's a difference between being disappointed and being discouraged or being depressed. We all get disappointed. Disappointed doesn't mean that you're discouraged. It means that you're disappointed. But discouragement means a little bit of the wind has been knocked out of you. The courage has been (sighs) depleted from you. You've been hit in the solar plexus right here. And you're down. You're discouraged. So we, we, we talked about what that is. And then we talked about how do you encourage others? How can we be a source of refreshment in others and other people's lives? Listen to me, listen to me. I want to challenge all of us to think this way, really think this way. Anybody who ever hangs with you on balance should leave from your presence having been invested in more than you withdrawn from them. That's a goal that we should have in our, all of our relationships that we don't suck the air out of people. Now, we all, there, you know, there are all times in which we need to be encouraged, and we are discouraged, and there are people pour into this. But on balance, our lives should be one, one story that I want to invest more than I withdraw. I, I, I want to I encourage people. And then last week, we talked about the power of friendship. The very, the, very, the very existence of relationship, the very existence of friendship is a portrait of the gospel. In fact, it is an expression of the image of God. It goes back to the plural pronouns when God created man. The reason for that, let us make man in our image, meaning that we were made to experience the same kind of inter-Trinitarian love relationship in human relationships. And so to have friendship, to the need for friendship, is really an expression of the very image of God. And most of us are not aware of that. That, that it, God is incarnational and we feel and sense and experience the love of God, not in a one-off situation, but through these relationships. And that's the reason why we love one another well. Well, today I want to talk about how do you encourage yourself? What, what, do, you, what do you do? What do you do when nobody's at the other end of the phone? What, what do you do when you, you get some awful, terrible, gut-wrenching, bad news? And somehow or another, the people in your life, they're preoccupied. 
Uh, you can't get through on the phone. You, you can't get them to read the email. They can't, they're not responding to your texts. You're isolated. Or it's, it's the nature of the news, the nature of the devastation is something that is not immediately appropriate to share. So what do you do? How do you handle that? Without going into details, I was uh, in Israel on the, 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 we were on the bus, the tour group was on the bus uh, to Tel Aviv to get on the flight back here to Atlanta. My son calls me, my oldest son, and says, Dad, I, I, I just need to tell you what you're walking back into. And it was some awful news. I couldn't tell the people around me. It was inappropriate. I didn't have all the pieces together. And I had to sit in the airport with the, with the group and, you know, be up and be on the plane with them and fly back here for 10 hours. What do you do? What do you do? And in life, you will hit those spots. There will be those, there will be those times in your life where, where you can't get through to someone. They're not available to you. And by the way, the Lord will orchestrate those times in your life. So the question is, how do you encourage yourself? What do you do? Well, I want to take you to two illustrations uh, in the Bible, to, that, two, two powerful illustrations of what to do. I'm going to read the second, this is the second passage, but I'm going to read it first, and then I'm going to go to the first passage. There's a reason for this. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning at verse 1, listen to what happened to David. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, uh, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But, but, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. There, there are these two giants. There are two giants that I want to underscore, two illustrations here that, that hang the meat of what I want to say on. Two incredible experiences. Uh, here you have David at Ziklag, and they want to kill him. But I also want to begin with the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. You don't necessarily have to turn there, but I'll just make a few remarks about this. The Apostle Paul is in prison. <clears throat> he is going to die advantage of history, we know that his head was cut off. And uh, he's writing Timothy. And by the way, as you read these first, uh, first two letters of Timothy, they're just full of encouragement. He's, he's putting wind in Timothy's sails. The most personal of the two letters is the second letter, though. For Paul is probably thinking that the road is doing like this to him. He opens up his heart as he gives some parting shots to Timothy. And then he shares something that is so enormously personal for Paul. He shares completely how he feels about what has just happened to him. Listen to these tender words in verses 16 and 17. He said, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me. I just want you to feel the emotion of these words. 
Think about this. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all, all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. What is he saying here? Most scholars believe he's not talking about when he was first arrested in Jerusalem. Much like the court systems today, here he is in prison and there was a series of hearings and trials related to what they were accusing him of. Most scholars believe that what Paul is referring to when he says that he is deserted, if you notice during this time in history, the Romans had turned up the temperature on the persecution of Christians. So here you have the great apostle Paul. Now think about this. His whole life has been encouragement. His whole life has been investing in others. He's written all these letters. He's poured himself in other people. Just the very nature of this letter of the second Timothy. He's putting wind in everybody else's sails. He's standing up for other people. He's laying it all on the line for them. Now here he is, trumped up uh, charges. They, 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 they have him in jail because he's preaching the gospel. And the emperor and everybody else in Rome is getting a little bit intimidated by this growing cult in their mind thing called Christianity. And Paul says, you know, I walked into court. And I thought, surely there would be somebody there. Surely there'd be somebody from the, uh, the church there in Rome. Somebody would show up. Somebody would say, hey, Paul didn't do that. No, no, he, he really is, is not, you know, uh, uh, trying to overthrow or, or do anything contrary. Somebody would say something. Paul said, man, I felt deserted. was alone. Now, Paul was not a weak man. You read his letters and you, you get a hint of his personality. I mean, he's a swashbuckling pioneer, entrepreneur, all this other kind of thing. I would not put Paul in the category of a sort of a needy personality. But even the strongest of us, he said, man, this is my life. But y'all couldn't send one or two people over here? They deserted me. Feel all by myself. Now, that's a little extreme. I don't know that any of us have, have had that experience. Maybe we've had in court, but we've all, in some form, if you're past 25 years old, you've had those times in your life where you go, man, I'm high and dry. And this stuff that I got to deal with, this is not C minus stuff. This is my life. Who's going to help me? Who's going to shepherd me? Who's going to pastor me? Who's going to say words of encouragement to me? Now, Paul felt that momentarily. But notice what he said. And I'm going to come back to this point a little later in the message. But notice how Paul allowed memory to take over his situation. He says in the opening line of verse 17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Paul drew encouragement from the realization that the Lord stood by him, and if he stood by him, he was going to strengthen him, and in fact, he did. Paul, at this point in his life, understood that, hey, look, 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 look. I need other people. Other people are important. It would have been nice to feel the love of the Lord Jesus and the strength of the Lord Jesus coming through the arm wrapped around my shoulders or the eyes that looked at me or the words that they spoke to affirm me. That would have been great. That would have been wonderful. But they ain't here. They're not here. So what am I going to do? 
And what happened is, I really believe, although the text doesn't say it, it's strongly implied, I think what happened was if Paul went back in his memory and he thought about other situations and he thought that, hey, look, I've been here before, unfortunately. There are many times in the life of uh, the Apostle Paul, read the book of Acts, where he'd been by himself. And let me just cite three of them. Uh, he was discouraged at Corinth. You find that over in Acts chapter 18, verses 9 through 11. But what happened when he was discouraged at Corinth, the Lord came to him and encouraged him. Secondly, he was arrested in Jerusalem. And he was discouraged because he was arrested in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 23, verse 11, what happened? Well, the Lord came to him and encouraged him. And you remember, he was on board the ship in a terrible storm. No friends, isolated, this kind of thing. But what happened there in Acts chapter 27, verse 22? In the midst of that devastation and shipwreck, the Lord came to him and encouraged him. And so it's like Paul said, yeah, I'm feeling bad. Yeah, now I wish that somebody would be here. Yeah, I, would, I, I could use some words of encouragement right now. I wish someone would come and lift my chin. I wish they would give me some verses. I wish they would do something. I wish I'd get a little note. Give me a little help here. But they're not here. But the one who's never failed me, Ever, the one who has never let me down, he's here. And somebody needs to hear that today. In fact, some of us have been overly dependent upon people for our source of strength and encouragement. And every once in a while, God orchestrates that. God shuts the phones down. God won't let you get through to other people. Why? Because we've been viewing other people as the source rather than the resource. God is the source. Now, he uses resources. Thank God for one another. And we do need to encourage one another. Everything I said in these previous weeks is true. We need to do that. But there are those times in which God said, Oh, Crawford, Crawford, wait a minute. You've been looking to your mentor a little bit too much. You've been looking to these people a little. Now, I need to, I need to hem you in. They're, 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 they're a resource, man. I'm always the source. And that's where Paul landed. I want to give you a little bit of homework this afternoon. This kind of memory is crucial. It is crucial. And I want you to go home this afternoon and take a few minutes, take out a piece of paper, and I want you to write down those times in which you've experienced the faithfulness of God in your life. Just list them. Just list them. And put that in a place where it's readily accessible to you because I guarantee you, you will need it. You will need that. Write it down. That's the reason why I journal. Because I have learned through some hard times the reason why I journal. Sometimes my buddies ain't available. Things is happening. They're happening. Decisions are there. And, and I just need to be able to go in my study and grab one of those puppies. And I almost just, I, I indiscriminately grab one. It doesn't make it. I just grab one. I reach in these boxes that I have. Just grab one and just start reading. And see the hand of God. And that's what Paul did. He said, but they deserted me, Timothy. I felt bad about it. That's the reason I'm sharing it with you. I'm not being falsely spiritual. Man, that sucker hurt. It would have been nice to have somebody in that courtroom. It really would. But you know what? I did not despair because I know that he will never leave me or forsake me. And I know that the Ancient of Days is with me. And I know that he has everything that I need. And that's the first illustration. Now let's get back to the second one. Let's go back to Ziklag. This is one remarkable passage. And sometimes when we read these Old Testament narratives, we, 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 don't, we don't soak in them enough. But you, 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 you need to feel what's going on here. 
By this juncture in David's life, most scholars believe that this is moving toward the end of his wilderness run. Don't know, it's, it's 13, 14, 15 years. Many scholars believe he ran for like, Saul for 16 years. By this point, what has happened to David is that David has put together this incredible, phenomenal army. But you gotta know, the dudes that were in this army, these guys had some horrible backgrounds. I mean, you wouldn't want these, these dudes to be your neighbors. I mean, these were outcasts, criminals. They were all sent to David. And David, as, as we know, David was a phenomenal leader. And whatever, it was the hand of God, David elicited loyalty. I just naturally, people were loyal to him by and large. Later on, there were some oopses. These guys were loyal to David. So what's going on right now, the way David is, is kind of like they're making their money and trying to live and what have you, is that uh, uh, this army, they're, they're mercenaries. And they're fighting alongside with the Philistines. And that ought to be a little bit humorous because Goliath, he kills Goliath. And now he's, Achish said, the king said, you fight with us. And so David is fighting with them. And then some of the lords of the Philistines say to Achish, ah, you know about David's background? He's, yeah, the stories are told about him. You do know what he did to Goliath, don't you? And they, they, they said, hey, look, man, we, you know, no, no, no harm, no foul, but brother, we can't have David and his boys with us because under pressure, they might begin taking us out. And so David had, I don't know how long they'd been on the, on, out there fighting and this kind of thing and away from the stronghold, but they'd been out there for quite a while. Their stronghold was Ziklag. Ziklag was their place of operation. They built this place. And they assumed that it was fairly safe because it was not guarded based upon the narrative that we just read. So they've been gone for a while and all of their family, their kids, the wives and uh, their resources and livestock and all that stuff was right there at Ziklag. Now, little other story is, is that that David and his men had fought with the Amalekites a number of times, and they would always beat the snot out of the Amalekites. Well, the Amalekites were a little upset. And so they knew that they could not have a frontal attack on David and his men because they would lose again. So while David and his men are gone, they probably did some recon, and they're back. They said, now is our opportunity. So they swooped down, and what they do is that they, they not only raid, they devastate Ziklag. They take everything out. They take, the, they take the, the, the women, the children, the livestock. They take it all. And they set it on fire. It's burning. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine? You have been out there away from home. I don't know how long they were gone. They were looking forward to get back to Ziklag to see their family, the, the, the kids, their wives, and uh, to, to chill, to enjoy their, a place of respite. And they're getting close, and they get up over the horizon, and they get near the top, and they see smoke. There are no sounds of kids playing. There are no sounds of animals. And they get there. And I don't know if they're calling out names. Sarah, Mary, little Samuel, Micah, Levi. Silence. They're gone. And what you have to realize, like I said, these are the toughest dudes on the planet. And yet they had given up everything to align with David. Everything. And now what little they had is gone.
And the text says here, verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. We ain't talking about tears trickling down their cheeks. We're talking about gut-wrenching sobs from grown men. Can you imagine what David is thinking? Text doesn't say it, but can you imagine what David is thinking? These men followed me. These men trusted me. Trusted me. Everything is gone. Now the emotions start to get ugly. The pain turns into rage. Because verse 6 says, And David was greatly distressed. Why? For the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul. Each for his sons and daughters. Son, you talk about being alone. You talk about being alone. This ain't some little teenager that's talking about killing David, okay? These are grown, vicious, angry, hurt, former criminals that's talking about killing them. And they could do it. What does David do? At this point, he can say, hey, is this how I'm going to go out? Think about it. Man, I've run from Saul. What, 14, 15 years, 13, 14, 15 years now? And is this how I'm going to go out? All these promises of God and my own men, they're going to kill me? Is this how I'm going to go out? What does he do? (laughs) Once again, notice the contrast. I'm going to say something here that is, you're going to think I'm nuts, okay? Well, well, you know I am. So, um, David's response defies his circumstances. The text says, but, contrast, he's distressed. They're, 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 they're going to kill him. At least that's their intentions. And yet the text says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But. One of the overarching things I want to say to you, and I've had to learn this in my life, so this is not theoretical, okay? I've got, I got a little mileage on me when it comes to some of these dark, lonely times. One of the things that you, you, you have to come to grips with, you've got to get there, is you've got to learn when you have these hard things that happen to you, bad news that happens to you, terrible circumstances, awful things that go on, you've got to learn to first respond to God and not react to your situation. For if you get in the habit of reacting, reacting to what is happening to you, you're going to deify what's happening to you. The very first thing, and this comes out of David's long history of walking with God. He, had, he learned that he needed to respond to God rather than react to the circumstances. 
So that's the reason why he says, but you, you, we think it's crazy. What, what is he, drinking something here? How does he get to this conclusion so fast? Isn't that a process? No, no, well, it is a process, but he had gone through the process before this catastrophe. He had learned painfully that I have to learn how to respond rather than react. I've got to learn how to respond rather than react. I respond to God and not react to my circumstances. That is a huge lesson in terms of encouragement. If you're constantly reacting to the negative stuff that you have no control over, you're not going to get anywhere. In fact, this stuff is going to kill you. This implies three things. These three things that I see here. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. The first implication is this, that immediately David turned to God. Immediately he turned to God. Immediately he turned to God. He turned to God. You see, we have to turn from what we're facing to the one who can handle what we're facing. It's as simple as that. You can't handle this. You can't handle this. What I did in that bus ride, I knew, I knew better. You know, I, hey, look, I'm no Hercules here. But when I got that information, I reached into my backpack and pulled out my Bible. If I didn't do that, I'm like everybody else. I'm trying to figure out what my options are. How am I going to manage this situation? What do I need to do? I'm not saying that that's wrong. But what I needed to do was to hear from God. And David immediately turned to God. It's not escapism. In fact, you read the rest of the narrative, you know that David wasn't living in denial. It wasn't escapism. He came up with a plan and he, he was intentional and active about it. But you, you, you have to turn to God. That's the very first thing you do. He said, you, you, so he turned to God. The second implication is, is that I believe he worshiped God. Where do you get that from? A, a hint at the word that he uses for deity. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You've heard me say this before. In your Bible, that word Lord should be in all caps. The reason for that is, is that it's a Hebrew word, Yahweh. We get the English transliteration Jehovah from that. It's the name of God that's always used of God identifying in the human predicament. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sikhanu, Jehovah Nisi, all these names of God, Jehovah Jireh, all these names of God that talks about God coming into our predicament. He didn't use Elohim. He used Yahweh. And by, by virtue of the fact of him just articulating that, you can sense that David has a heart of worship. God, I know you're able and I don't know in his mind if he rehearsed the attributes of God, his ability, whatever he needed at that moment, but he, he lifted him up. And the third thing that I really believe is implied by this, when it says, and David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, notice the personal pronoun. He didn't say, and David strengthened himself in the Lord God. The personal pronoun is really interesting to me because it implies, it implies a journey and a relationship and an experience with God's faithfulness. It implies memory. And David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. His God. And I think what David was saying is that I, I, I remember. I know your track record. You have been with me all these years. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen to me. But I know you've been faithful. And he drew strength from memory. Hear me on this. Your salvation, your deliverance is your memory. Your memory of God's faithfulness is the source of your deliverance. Memory is huge in the Bible. Huge. Don't forget 
don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. I, 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 I want to talk to a younger crowd. If you're 40 and younger, I want to say this to you. Sometimes it's during this season in our lives when uh, all hell breaks loose in our lives. Things are happening. There, there are things that take place and disappointments, the loss of jobs, the, the, the dying of dreams and disappointment about career, bad things happening, and, and all the avalanche of stuff happens in our lives during this time. And it was going to happen in the rest of your life. But I want to tell you this, and I'm no masochist, but listen to me, that's a gift. One of the reasons why it's a gift is because God has proven himself faithful to you. And you can never know the faithfulness of God until you've experienced some dark discouragement. I wish it was otherwise. I wish it was otherwise, so help me, I do. But the truth of the matter is you will never really know you, you, you say things intellectually and talk about it. You can know that, but you'll never really know the faithfulness of God until you've seen God take you through some dark times. And the dark times, they're gifts. Just as David, the dark times were David's gift. Saul throwing the spear at him was a gift. Saul coming after him was a gift. Why? Because he saw God come through. He saw God deliver him. And he remembered that. And for the sake of time, I can't, I, I won't walk you through this text, and I want to encourage you to read this, but I want to make three observations, three things that we need to remember about the faithfulness of God. Three biggies. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. By the way, the whole theme of Deuteronomy 8 is the word remember. The children of Israel about ready to enter into the promised land. They had wandered for 40 years. And God uh, says to them, you know, y'all got a track record. You can't handle success. You just can't handle prosperity. And he said, you know, you're going to get in here and the land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have a great, you know, great produce from the field and things will not be good. You're not going to be nomadic anymore and this kind of thing. You're going to settle down. You're going to build a big crib in a great community and all this other kind of thing. Life will be good. You know, by the way, success is always the first step towards failure. It's, just, it's going, you, you, you. And so he says, the only way you're going to survive is if you remember my faithfulness. And three things he says he wants them to remember. And uh, I want you to find these. You find them yourself in verses 1 through 6 of Deuteronomy 8. The very first thing he says that I want you to remember, you need to remember how I led you. For 40 years in the wilderness, I led you. And that memory is to hold on to a promise that he will always guide you. In fact, the leading of the Lord was to produce dependence upon the Lord. There was a cloud and a pillar. There's a cloud and a pillar. And when it moved, you moved. And I led you for 40 years. I led you. See, the, 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 the deal is this. Just because you don't know where you're going, that doesn't mean God doesn't know where he's taking you. You know, the, the, the issue's not on you. you no, I, I, I don't know where I'm going. I got stuff going on in my life right now. I don't know what in the world's going to happen or where, where that's going to lead. But that's okay. I don't feel stressed out. Why? Because he knows the way through the wilderness. The same God that guided me to this point, he's able to guide me tomorrow. He has ways. And uh, you'll get that at 3 o'clock this afternoon. But at any rate, God will guide us. Secondly, you need to remember how he provided for you. You need to remember how he provided for you. Just because you're out of resources doesn't mean that he's out of resources. He said, you know, you wandered 40 years in this wilderness. Check this out. Check this out. Every single morning, now you may not have liked the menu, but every single morning you, you, had, you had nourishment, food. And I, this statement is remarkable to me. He says, and your clothes and your shoes did not wear out for 40 years. I've been going on Amazon to see where I can buy some sandals like that, Jack. But, you know, it did for 40 years. 
But 40 years, can you imagine these, these bazaars in the wilderness? Maybe they, they, these, you know, these people come up and they see, the, you know, well, this is a built-in uh, um, you know, marketing thing here. They got needs. We can make some money on to sell some clothes. They come up to the, to the Jews and say, hey, look, uh, you, you, you need a new tunic or you need some you know, sandals? They said, eh, 39, you know, they're good. We're good. See you. <laughs> you think I can't take care of you now? You think I can't take care of you now? I've always told my, my kids, especially my sons in ministry, don't ever make ministry decisions primarily based on finances. God can take care of you. God can take care of you. And then interestingly, the third thing he says they need to obey and they need to remember this, you, you're going to be surprised by this, but he says this throughout that chapter. He says, you need to remember how I disciplined you. And the reason for the discipline was to create a will to obey so that under pressure, you won't compromise and disobey God. You saw the south side of that when you did, didn't you? Had that work for you? Not real well. So when you're under pressure, obey me. Obey me. Crawford, this is overwhelming, but don't allow your emotions to drive you to a place where you're going to sell out, you're going to compromise, and you're going to disobey God. It is always more expensive in the long run to disobey him, by the way. Let me just wrap this up by giving you just a few suggestions. As we step, some of us step into this. All of us will, to be honest with you. All of us. All of us will have those moments where there's just nobody around. You can't get a Hallmark greeting card or one of those little, what's those little gift things that my wife sends me when I text with somebody going like this and all that. Just, Karen, stop. Uh, you know, let me give you four or five suggestions. Number one, remember that what Paul and David had in common is that they both had cultivated a rich relationship with the Lord. You got to cultivate a rich, wonderful, intimate relationship with the Lord. For it is in cultivating that that triggers that spiritual normative response. You have to do it. See, God provides the confidence and certainty in challenging times. And so you cultivate the relationship. They weren't able to respond this way just because they just decided to do that. No, that came out of cultivation. The second thing that I would say is that tell the stories of God's faithfulness. Tell the stories of God's faithfulness. Don't just read them to you. Tell the stories to your family of God's faith. Verbalizing those stories makes them richer in your own heart and mind. Share often about God's intervention. Share often about what he has done. It keeps you where you need to be. Somebody in our worship planning committee meeting uh, threw this line out, just quoted someone, and I love it. It says, before you go to the phone, go to the throne. That's true. That's even true, by the way, by the way, when there are people around to encourage you. Uh, get in the habit of going to God first. Get in the habit of going to him first before you pick up the phone. And I would say, you know, number four, you know, um, I say this a lot here, but it's true. You, you have to fill your heart and mind with his word. You see, one of the big dangers when you're not going through a hard time is that we get sloppy with our spiritual disciplines. It's amazing how much we pray when the heat is on. But what we really need to do is that we need to saturate our hearts and our minds with the truth of God's word. Read it, memorize it, have it right here in the frontal lobe so that when the pressure comes and the, you know, you're, you're, you're in the midst of something that you can't handle, uh, the spirit of God can bring to your remembrance what's there. The truth of his word. And the final thing I would suggest is this. 
do what you know and not how you feel. This, this is the difference between people. This is the difference between people who are encouraged and who live beneath the, above the hope line and the people who don't. The people who live beneath the hope line are those who consistently respond emotionally to crises and challenges. I didn't say emotions, emotions are, 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 are wonderful, but we have to do what we know and not what we feel. Paul felt like he was abandoned. He didn't deny those feelings. David was weeping with him, and he was distressed himself. He didn't deny those feelings. But notice, neither one of them operated based upon those feelings. They did what they knew and not how they felt. Let's stand together. Now, I just want to say to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ here, you can receive at a certain level what I've said here. You can take notes and read it. But may I just say this to you? You will not have the power base to do any of this stuff in a consistent way. Because what we're talking about here, this kind of response is outside of human ability to do consistently. It is the living Christ that as we abide in him, his power flows through us. And he gives us the ability to live above our circumstances, even devastation. It is Jesus that says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And if you've not trusted Christ, I want to plead with you, trust him. Trust him. Everybody's going to go through hard times, whether you're a believer or not a believer. The difference is the promises and the presence of God and the joy that is there and the strength that we can tap into. If you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to pray a prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I turn from my sin, and I want you to forgive me of my sin. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. If you prayed that prayer, Christ is living in your heart and life. Let somebody know about it. At the end of the service, we're going to have our Stephen ministers, staff members, uh, those on the care ministry team who are here. Uh, we'll meet you up front. We'd love to pray with you if you've got any need whatsoever. Don't you turn the situation if you're hurting. Let us love one another well. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, and thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you that you have been so good to us. Thank you for these two towering examples of men who were not perfect, but men who had learned over time that they always, 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 always have to respond to God. And when we step into these moments when no one is around, oh God, may we not cave into despair become overwhelmed, but may we lift our eyes above the shadows and see Jesus seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, who whispers in our ears, I will never leave you or forsake you. Dismiss us, we pray in Jesus' name.